This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Coming up on the show this week, what people can say nice things about me. It's I, okay. I didn't say a word. I didn't even make a facial You're, gesture. <laughs> just sitting here waiting for my turn to talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Voice San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined as always. Andrew Keats, the managing editor at Voice San Diego. What's up, Andy? Not much, man. How are you? Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Luis. How are you? Good. You know what I was just thinking? You do have a good radio voice. Do I? Someone someone said, said that on our um, donations channel on Slack. I think he was just making fun of me, but... Oh. <laughs> But thank well, you. I, I think you do. So. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I I still hate listening to it, but I, but that's nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Coming up on the show this week, the controversial leader of regional planning and transportation signaled this week that he may be out soon. We'll uh, fill in the details of how that came about. And the city of San Diego is looking to change its practices around towing cars, or at least there's angst to do that. We'll see if that debate progresses Homelessness is, of course, getting worse. Cars and vans are often the last option for folks before they're forced to live on the street. I told you about the story of June and Mason. We have an update. We'll talk about what sparked this discussion and what it could mean for the biggest crisis in the region. Finally, education reporter Jacob McQuinney will come in to talk about what's going on at High Tech High, the prestigious network of charter schools. It was big news when teachers there formed a union but now it's at an impasse with management and morale is suffering. Jacob will explain everything. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Lopez, you were mentioning the donation channel. It's pretty great, right? It's, a, it's like when we do the annual pitches or the regular campaigns, it's nice to see the notes that come in. Huh? Mm-hmm. Even just like randomly, even if we don't have campaigns and someone donates and they say something really nice about our reporting. Yeah. Aww. So you're just if, like, just like <laughs> a dog is just like, isn't it great that like when I 
do the right thing. I, I get a little biscuit. Isn't, it, isn't that a nice part of life? <laughs> People like Luis Montero Adams, he said, uh, I need my morning report and Friday podcast. Well, here you go. Thank you, Luis. So it's that time of year where we do need to raise a bunch of money to prep for 2023 and to be ready to pay people over that period and do all the things that go along with that. So please, if you value, like Luis does, this podcast uh, or the service we provide, the reporting we provide, please uh, consider joining Luis and others. at Put in whatever you can, $5 uh, a month, or um, $5,000, it works too, you can do that much. Uh, and that really helps uh, everything. So whatever you think this service is worth, uh, that helps us keep it free and keep it available to the public so that we can continue to do this work. And we're dealing with the inflation issues and cost of living issues, just like every employer in town and we wanna do right by everybody. So thank you, go to vosd.org slash pod people if you want to specifically support the podcast that's vosd.org slash pod people thank you so in the i think it was the sunday paper there was a story in the ut on the front page about whether the election and the consequences of some republicans being elected to office would impact regional transportation planning, something we've, we'd been covering, and Andy Keats here in particular had done a good job putting in context about what would and maybe not happen because of the limited impact of some of the races. Uh, but I read the to the jump, you know, where the, the newspaper says to, you know, go on to another page. In the, and in the physical world, that existing out here where our bodies exist, yeah. not in any sort of virtual Cloud. existence. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I um, read to that jump and there was nothing particularly new that I hadn't known, so I didn't make the jump. Mm-hmm. I should have, however, yeah, because you noticed something further down that caught your attention, and that is that uh, Hassan Akrata, the leader, executive director of the San Diego Association of Governments, uh, ha- may not be around for a while. Yeah, Hassan did something here that's sort of interesting. This is this is him talking, not uh, the chairman of his board or some other, you know some group of board members talking about his potential exit. It's he is the the person breaching this subject, and I I think there's sort of like a, a NFL head coach rule here, like the worst thing that could happen for any head coach is when the owner goes public to say that that coach has their full faith. Yeah, like that. It's like start the timer. He's about to be fired. Yeah, you know, like if you go public to say you're not going to fire somebody, you're absolutely going to fire them very soon. You've you've acknowledged that it's an even it's a question. Yeah, and once you acknowledge like, the question, yeah, like a, like a relationship where you say like maybe we should break up. Like you might get past this fight, but like that relationship's already over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, well, so Hassan Akrata said to Joshua Emerson Smith from the Union Tribune. Um, that maybe he should leave. Um, he said he's not interested in sticking around much longer if elected officials can't rally around a common vision for transit. Quote, I want to make sure the board, regardless of if they're Republican or Democrat, doesn't spend every single meeting asking for me to be fired or fighting with each other. I want to see civility and feel that we're making a difference. Now, it's interesting timing here because like I think a year ago, this would have been 
eh, a, a year and one month ago, this would have been a, a perfectly reasonable thing for him to say. But right now, there sort of is a bit of a consensus going yeah. on at Sandag, <laughs> yeah. which is that his plan to charge drivers a fee is bad and they need to get rid of it. Yeah. That's like one thing that Democrats and Republicans keep voting. There's literally oh, no advocate for it. it, is there? Colin uh, Jack Shue. Okay. No, 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 not not even Colin Perrin. He's but he's not on the board. Yeah. But he it wouldn't be an advocate for it. Jack Shue, who from La Mesa, who is right. on the board, he does stand up for the okay. driving fee. But right, that that's it. That's it. The rest of the board agrees that this is bad. And um it's yeah, so, it feels so like- he's so, I think what he's saying is not quite true he doesn't mean i want them to come to agreement he means i want them to agree with me yeah to support (laughs) this to go back to the relationship metaphor i understand that's that's like that's everybody's favorite is when they get their way (laughs) but it doesn't always work that way yeah it, it feels like he for the last year has been playing this weird game where it's like uh so we're doing the driving fee no, we're not doing the driving fee. He's like, well, why don't you tell me when you're sure we're not doing the driving? We're not doing the driving fee. Yeah. What about the driving fee? And when are we going to be clear about it? Because I keep telling the other people that we're going to do the driving fee. And they're like, why? Like, why? Stop <laughs> telling them. Stop telling them that. We were very clear. And then the Republicans <laughs> the whole time are like, they're they're saying they don't want the driving <laughs> fee. And everybody needs to understand that. And you are out on your own. And he's like, I don't know what you're saying, why I'm out on my own. (laughs) Now, the one correction I would say, initially, I think Republicans thought that they were being played. And so what they were doing was going to the media and saying, stop saying that they've removed the driving fee because he still isn't going along with it. There's a two-step here. It's only recently that they seem to have been persuaded that the Democrats are being earnest and they're just being ignored. And they start to be like, oh, I, I, I almost have some sympathy for these guys. They're 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 signaling their intent quite clearly and just being ignored. But so in any case, uh, I don't know how this works itself out. But uh, by NFL head coach rules, Asana Krata has has already started a clock. Can I try a, a really ambitious analogy here? <sighs> I need I need consensus from my board here. Uh, Lopez, you on board? Sure. Uh, you lost me at NFL coach. So yeah. <laughs> let's see if you can do better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrea did check it's out when ball. I gave that. <laughs> um, my answer is yes with the provision that we we can delete later if this doesn't. Fly. All right. So <clears throat> it, you know how Elon Musk took <laughs> over Twitter <laughs> and, and he took over Twitter and he's slow or very quickly actually going through what Twitter went through for 15 years yeah. and ending up kind of where they were or he probably will it seems like all these things he wants to add and changes and stuff like he's finding out how difficult it is from from uh that they that they found their own way through is that fair yeah maybe it's a little hopeful at this point given the the last (laughs) week yeah it could it seems like maybe he's not learning those lessons but but, i feel like hasan akrata came in as like this elon musk to send sandhag of like let's do these big like ambition he literally even tapped into elon musk's like people to yeah. do like the Hyperloop and the, and boring, the boring company, company. and all yeah. these things. And he, he wanted to, and he wanted to do a, a hundreds of billions of dollars investment in a, in a transportation system that could get you around the community in a, in a, in a way that you could, you could easily handle as well as your car. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the vision. And it seems like it's been what, two, three years, four, 
over this wow four. It's been four years. Yeah, he's been at Sandag longer than Barbara Bree was on the city council. And I I feel like in that four or five years, we're gonna end up right where Sandag left off. Yes, which is like a mild investment in transit that's overpriced and doesn't serve anybody really or it's sort like of doesn't excite anyone including transit advocates yeah it's and, like, and well, it's not better than just jumping in your car right well yeah it's like like we got the mid-coast trolley yeah after like two billion dollars later 20, 20 years 20 years later and like even transit advocates are like i mean i'm glad it's better than not having it but no one is like stoked on it, really. Yeah, and the board is going to be back to this like milk toast. Like maybe we don't need to fight everything out in public. That doesn't seem yeah. productive in the end. Uh, uni- unanimous. Let's do some highway projects. Let's sure we, we have can- the ability to do a weighted vote where Sa- the city of San Diego gets to determine <laughs> everything. But that's not a good way to do business. And- let's let's cook it up in the back room beforehand and make sure we all vote together. Right. Yeah. And the <laughs> physics of the challenge of Sandag will go right back to where they were, yeah. which is this like boring and then when it comes to climate change that was the only other like variable that was thrown at sandag which is that you have to have a plan for meeting our climate goals in the state and they'll go back to what they used to do which is just just fraudulence yeah like just just play with the forecast just just like like, uh, just get the screwdriver out and tighten this screw and the state will go back to being like yeah i guess that was fine fine. it's just back to it's back to life right is that a, did I what did it work? Uh, I think what you've said about Sandag is true. I don't know how 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 much that lines up with what Elon Musk is going through at Twitter. At this point, I don't really know what he's going through at Twitter. I, yeah, he could still up in the thing, but it's been not, that, that part of the metaphor is not really important. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is the, the point is, is that if an if an entity is operating at a, in a certain way after a couple decades, uh-huh. then it's it's probably there's a lot of reasons, there were reasons why. why yeah and it's very hard to it's like just when you like, work at a restaurant yeah you work at a restaurant and somebody comes in and they're like why is there a wait I, like there's a table over there and you have to be like oh there's, there's no waiter for that table they yeah. don't come in until three like the rush came a little bit early but like we're understaffed for it so like just trust me i can't seat that table right now like the kitchen won't be able to handle it the Waiters will be double booked. Like they won't be able to get you drinks. You'll be annoyed over there instead of being annoyed here. Just, just trust me. There are rules for the way we do it. But like every person that walks up to the host stand thinks that they can like reorganize the restaurant on the fly. Yeah. Now, <laughs> maybe, maybe I spent a lot of years working. <laughs> yeah, you too. guys. Like... You too, right, Andrea? Yeah, I was a hostess actually. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, so you know what I'm saying, right? It's real. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, you're upset. You can go somewhere else. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that that's how you react. <laughs> it's like 30 minute wait. Okay. It's very Aquarius of you. Andre. <laughs> very aloof. The other day I spoke about my former neighbor, June, mm-hmm. and her son, Mason, right? So June had, as I found out with an email, she had been evicted. Um, She lived just a few doors down. Her son's, my son's age, 12, was turning 12 on November 10th, actually. On November 11th was his birthday. And that night, um, she emailed me because uh, she had been evicted from her home, which was near mine, several months ago. And 
That night, the police seized and towed away the car that she and Mason had been staying in. This was a record cold night, um, and and they were out literally on the street, well, on the grass in, in a Mission Bay parking lot. And she was looking through uh, homeless articles, trying to get homeless resources, and found one that I had done, and found me, and realized who I was, emailed, and we were able to connect her to support and um and they got them uh, the next day but they did spend that night out on the street and i've been very upset about that for uh, um you know several weeks now and trying to learn more and our lisa halverstadt delivered this week uh, a story about a debate that just so happens to be going on at the city right now about that very issue which is what happens or what should the city's policy be when they're towing a car that is also somebody's home and their last bit of shelter and i uh there's just a, there's a lot of data and a lot of facts but basically there's three things going on one there was an audit done that found that the city's uh towing practices are for uh, violations that are mostly things that people with lower income are are dealing with that's the their registrations expire they have five plus uh, parking tickets they've been parked in the same place too long and a lot of those have to do with people who are living in their home in their cars and uh, at the same time there's a there seems to be an argument going on at city hall about whether you should tow somebody who's living in their car because that just creates more street homelessness it really just like knocks them down to the to the bottom they hit bottom Mm-hmm. And um, I, there's an update in here about June's situation. And I got to say, I'm just like, I'm really jarred because one, it says, um, you know, talks about her. She got towed. The, uh, the city is asked about this case. Mm-hmm. It was a popular case. It went viral. It's certainly something that the city had a week and a half to get its ducks in a row about its opinion on what happened here and what should have happened here. Ashley Bailey, a city spokeswoman, you noticed this quote too. Mm-hmm. She said, look, their their vehicles had expired registration. Um, one of them had a registration tag that was actually somebody else's registration tag, and we just had to tow them. And just take a second and read that. Yeah, so she said, quote, this is an unfortunate case, but the fact is the city is spending millions of dollars on resources that assist people like these mothers so that they can live in a sanctioned safe space where they could not only avoid enforcement for their expired registrations, but also get connected to services and housing. She's saying basically, I'm sorry, this is unfortunate, but they had a place to go. They decided not to. We can't let people just stay in our parks in our in our communities. This had to happen, and they defended it like this is the outcome that is in the law, and it's what we are aiming for. And we're spending millions of dollars for spaces now where they could have gone. Now, Lisa talked to June and said, "You know, this was the city's case," and she said, "I called the city safe parking operator." And they didn't return my call until after we'd been towed. 
on over the summer, I had been trying to get a spot at one of the safe parking spots and could not get there. And she said she'd been trying to find shelter over that period. I was trying to get off the streets, she said. So there's a dispute about whether she had been offered shelter or not. But I I, got to say I'm aghast. I just cannot believe that the city wants to tell the community right now that the best, the desired outcome of this incident is that they take June's car and leave her and her son and dog and all their stuff out on the street. Like if if your goal is to um, reduce street homelessness and the the cleanliness that would go with that, and if your goal is to get people into safer spaces, again, as we said a couple of weeks ago, w- nobody benefits when she's towed. Nobody's no when when her car is towed, nobody benefits. She's she's now much more uncomfortable and and cold and not sleeping and the consequences of not sleeping in these sort of trying moments are severe mm-hmm. the cost of getting your vehicle out of the tow yard can sometimes be so prohibitive that you just don't ever get it back yeah. like you your know? ability to function is then severely limited yeah because just Can't. getting around from mission bay right. from there is brutal right with all your stuff and everything i mean and then uh, the city doesn't benefit because now you have a newly street homeless person and the the issues and 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 problems that come along with that. Not that she was housed before that, but the it, it's it's a, it's a significant difference. And then the uh, uh, yeah the cost that's added to it and the ability for her to get out of this situation is is just dramatically uh, more challenging. Right. Mm-hmm. Just feels like they're like digging like a deeper hole. (laughs) They are. No, they're just like yeah. You know, like to be. I mean, to be in your car, obviously not an ideal situation, but perhaps that's an easier path to to get you somewhere else. uh, Parking in a safe lot, but then to just be out on the street where you maybe have to get rid of some of your belongings, or you know, it's just it just seems like a worse situation. And then she was offered finally offered a spot and. At that point, she had no car. So it's not like she could go there anymore. She can't go because she doesn't have a car. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I think a city position that we have safe lots for this reason, and we can't surrender the idea that people are free to use their cars, RVs, larger vehicles to make de facto homes in parks around the bay in people's neighborhoods, on the street, is a defensible position mm-hmm. that, as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, what is insane to me about this is, and I think what is so caused this to go to go viral, is there's a moment here where a police officer, a human, is standing in front of another human preparing to tow this car. And... Presumably, June is saying, this is my home plea. Like, do not do this. We will be on the street tonight if you do this. If you take this car away, me and my son who's sitting right there who you can see will be sleeping under a blanket on the coldest night of the year. Please don't do it. And that other human decides that the the strictures of the law are such that that 
that's more important than to listen to this warm-blooded person across the, the across the the curb from you at night at night and that is galling mm-hmm. and hard to swallow and it, it it tugs at that something deep and wrong with people it, that's the why we have the term kafkaesque that that for a bureaucratic system to to be so indifferent to a human suffering um but it's such another thing to hear somebody a week and a half later say this is the system as it's designed this is what we want yeah. this is what we're pursuing and and so like again i i think enforcing the idea that the like the areas where people park cars on the side of the street is not meant to become private space for people to set up homes in their automobiles mm-hmm. is a fine thing to do i think it, it that that the simple facts that have been established that no one disputes that there were a lack of spaces for cars in these safe spark parking lots as recently as a few months ago when june called seems to line up with when jewish family services who operates the the lot told our lisa halverstadt that yes in in july there were no, no spaces available for a short period also says that routinely those things operate at more like 90 percent capacity which 90 percent capacity is high 90% capacity is enough that seems to indicate to me that there's a need for more of them. Mm-hmm. And that's a need that the city council has already recognized by asking the city to identify more spaces for them and to open more in more districts so that people don't have to drive from wherever they are to Kearney Mesa or Mission Valley. I think there's another one opening in Claremont soon. Um, like, it seems dem- demonstrable to me that there's enough friction in this system that you can't just throw your hands up and say, "What do you want us to do?" These people they they broke the parking laws. They have to go. They have to go into the system, or this is going to happen to them. Like I, th- I think they've I think they've they've proven their case that it was it was too hard, and the city needs to make it easier to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like who does it? Oh, okay. They didn't pay their registration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, I'm just not that outraged about that. I'm 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 less outraged about that than I am a mother and son sleeping under a blanket on the coldest night of the year. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Like I I care more about the 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 latter than the former. Yeah. And Call me crazy. I, I, like I just I mean I do understand. I mean even where I live in Logan Heights, I, I live near a park, and there are so many people parked there every night who you can visibly tell that their cars are their homes. Yeah. You know and. And whether, you know, that that's not good for the neighborhood or whatever, like people have different opinions, but it is heartbreaking to see people living in their cars Mm -hmm. um, in your own community, sometimes parked out in front of my house. And, you know, I can visibly tell they're living in their home. And maybe some people are not happy about that. Maybe some people don't really mind. But, you know, that's a situation that I can see why residents would not want to see that in in their on their street in front of their home. But to just kick someone out of their car without having a system where you can make sure that there there is an open space for you to go to. There's mm-hmm. a place where you can park safely and he, here here's where you can go now and not be parked out in the street. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But does it make sense to just like, here's a number call to see if there's a safe parking lot. Oh, but anyways, we're going to take your car. Yeah. Well, and so here's the, the this other policy hole that seems to, that Lisa seemed to identify in this story which is 
on street homelessness when there's some sort of uh, street clearing operation that involves the police. And they usually go out and they are enforcing um, laws of homelessness, right? That, that people need to clear the right of way, that yeah. they've, that whatever. Um, that system is linked into the shelter system. Mm-hmm. The police have shelter beds that they can direct refer you to. And you have an option to go do that rather than face any sort of consequences, typically. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that same relationship between enforcing the laws that are most commonly associated with homelessness and directing you into the homeless services system is not applied to large vehicles that people often it's deliberately it's deliberately separated and that like in in you know that's like the 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 you could fix that system where when the police officer is set, is getting ready to jack up J- june's car and drag it off to the tow yard where it's going to cost hundreds of dollars to get it out with all their belongings in it you could, and she says don't do this. We'll sleep. We'll be forced to sleep outside tonight if you, sir, drive away with that automobile. That would create an opportunity for him to say, I won't do this if you go to that lot right now. Mm-hmm. Or I will tow this car to that lot for you right now and you can go sleep in it in that lot. Right? Like that, it, it just doesn't seem like that should be beyond, beyond it's our, not that our hard. bureaucratic ability. No. You know? it, not only should it not be beyond our ability, it seems incumbent that if you are going to use, as they explicitly are arguing here, mm-hmm. the threat of seizing your car and towing it away yeah. as an enforcement mechanism to take advantage of the city's millions of dollars of resources, and we find, by the way, all the time that they aren't that they don't have the beds available yeah. for people to go into, let alone the beds that serve people who can't climb up on a bunk or have a dog or have a, a, a spouse that they want to be with or whatever, mm-hmm. if you are going to use that threat as a mechanism, a violent mechanism, to force them into this compliance, you have to have a place. It, you have totally to tell fr- them. Completely frictionless. And and it's just like, it's like, what are we doing and that goes back to the the thing I keep talking about. If we don't treat this like an emergency, an acute emergency that we have to deal with as an emergency right now, what are we doing? Because if you are insistent that we need to clean up these neighborhoods, like you said, I my neighborhood is filled with people living in their cars as well. Our park is filled with people living in their cars. It's 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 not the way it should be. It's not a neighborhood functioning. And I understand the angst that people have about it, especially about the bathrooms. People have to go to the bathroom. I understand the angst that the city has about it. I Absolutely. Yeah. But treat it like an emergency and find parking lots yeah. that you can take over and cordon off and rally the community to help you fund the services that they need to stay safe and clean in those places. But get going on it because if you 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 can't have it both ways. You can't enforce it. And then just and then just wonder what's happening when there's people with a bunch of stuff piled up. How many people do you see now with people with stuff piled up that you have to wonder maybe they had all that stuff in their car yeah. and it was just taken away? And and I, it's just it's not right the way that this is all coming together and we're just picking at it with all these little 
little tools that aren't doing the job. And so I, I, I can't, I still can't believe they didn't just say like, this is a very unfortunate incident. We're going to review it and see what we can do to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. Cause obviously this isn't an ideal outcome. They didn't even do that where they could kind of leave their some or self space or, or make the case. Those two mothers were given the ultimatum that they had to report that night to the safe parking lot and they chose not to. And there was a spot for them. And there was a spot for them. Mm-hmm. It was offered. Directions were given. It was being held for them it or was something. being held for them. Yeah. Like, you know, at, at a certain point, let's allow people to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. But the the circumstances here just don't seem to to line up with that explanation. There's a image in the story that um, really just kind of hits at the point you were making just now, Scott. Uh, it was shot by Peggy Petey. Um, and this is a, a separate um, a separate case on a different day. This is back in June of these individuals uh, who had a car filled with all their stuff and their car was towed. And so in that image, you you see the the car being towed um, and, and the sidewalk is filled with all of their belongings. There's like a skateboard, a bunch of blankets, bags and now, you know, all their belongings are are on the street. So I can only imagine what what it looked like that night for, for June. Yeah. And if you're concerned about reducing that, that very thing, the presence of all this trash and un, un, unorganized uh, goods and tents and, and all of the things that people are worried and frustrated about, you are creating more of that with this policy. You are deliberately yeah. and, def- and defending your decision to do that, do more of that. Yeah. And it seems to have, at least just based based on the quotes provided, mystified some other city officials, um, the housing commissioners, uh, Mitch Mitchell and Ryan Klumpner both said something to the effect of, well, it seems that our goal shouldn't be to put more people on the street. And that seems to be what this is doing. That seems counterproductive. Um, you know, Sean Elo Rivera seems to be uh, you know, who at one point in his life lived in a car seems to disagree that this is the best way and wants updates on how the city's policy uh, came to be and what, how it should best be. Now, I don't want to like uh, overly inflate any of these responses. It doesn't seem that there's uh, a huge amount of reason to believe that like imminent changes are ahead of, about this city policy and like, whatever dispute is going on behind closed doors about this seems pretty muted. If, if, if it exists at all, I don't really know. Um, uh, Stephen Whitburn, the other city councilman who requested an audit that happened to coincide with what happened to June um, seems eager to make changes to the city's policies here. Um, However, it's like, you know, it's moving at the city's normal pace of policy changes yeah you know and there there's an irony here of course that what happened to her was so violent and so absurd that now it's become a story right and like with the the other the rashki story that we highlighted several months ago uh the community has responded uh, they've raised uh almost twenty thousand dollars for the women to and they're in transitional housing they're going to they're in shelter and and it seems like they're heading towards uh, at least the hope for longer term housing. Feet, right. 
But that's only because what happened to them was so violent that it got attention. Right. And I think this is what breaks my heart at the end of that story is June, June says, um, you know, you, you already, she talks about how she, she'd been trying to get through the process to get shelter, to, to get through this, um, to get more stability. You feel so crappy about the situation you're in, she said, and then they take the last bit of your hope. And then um, she, she talks later about how this sort of rescue has happened and now she just has this almost like survival guilt, yeah, survivor's guilt about it, right? And she said, now the hardest part for me is getting this help, knowing there are other moms and families who are out there who still need help and their voices just aren't heard. And it's like, you know, that's what gets me about all these stories, the Rashki story and others. Like, yeah, if you, if you get attention on something and you mobilize the community, people want to give money. They want to get out there and help. They want to support something to be done. But- it just happens for people like this who almost win the lottery. Yeah, it's not a system. That's that's that that's not a a, a long term strategy for ending no. this. You know, but it does highlight this community's overwhelming desire to see things change and and to at least on the individual level not be cruel, to right. not be indifferent. Right. That there that and and so yeah, a, a bit of a a bittersweet update to um, the story. Obviously, just a very troubling. Um, you know, response from the city and and defense, but uh, we do have the the update that June and her son have a little bit more stable situation and some resources to help them get through all that. You can follow all of our homeless coverage at vosd.org slash homeless, vosd.org slash homeless. Um, as you can tell, I'm pretty fired up about this and its need to be covered as a true acute emergency in the city and um, I hope you'll be able to see that play out. Again, it's vosd.org slash homeless. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. 
As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. One of the best known and I think most prestigious charter networks in the country, really, if not at least in San Diego, is High Tech High. And it's known for its project-based learning, its personalized learning, its its uh, uh, teachers who come from all over, its teacher training program, lots of things uh, like that. But it and a few other charter schools locally went through um, a remarkable thing a couple of years ago where they uh, saw their staffs unionize. One of the things that had differentiated charter schools for a long time was uh, that they weren't union or they didn't have similar. A lot of them were, but uh, but at least locally um, they weren't. And uh, they unionized. And now uh, we've been wondering what happened. And now we know how it's gone since then. And that we know that thanks to Jacob McWinney, our education reporter. And he joins us in studio. Hey, Jacob, how are you? How's it going? Good to be here. Good. So how is it going? Uh, not great. <laughs> um, recently in, in earlier in November, um, the, the union and the management of high tech high declared an impasse, which will trigger a, uh, a mediator from the state to come in and, and try and help figure things out. There are a couple things that, that the unions and the school just can't seem to agree on. Um, one of the key ones is what happens when a teacher fired for cause wants to appeal. Um, High Tech High's management thinks the CEO should make the final uh, call, but uh, the union believes that it should be a panel with a union uh, representative, someone from the management, and a neutral third party. And a lot of this, essentially, for the union, they feel that without this more neutral you know, way to approach appealed firings, that all of the uh, things that they've bargained for already are basically negated. And it, yeah. it, it really highlights one of the big frustrations that they've had for a long time, which is that they feel that there's just been this revolving door of teachers. So that's that's really interesting. They didn't they're they're on the same page as far as benefits and pay and leave and all of that. Yeah, they they've agreed to pretty much everything else. There's this and then the other thing, which is um, that didn't really make it into the story. It's a little less flashy, but how uh, long of a sort of uh, introductory period they should have. Yeah. So. Just for context, uh, in the traditional public school setting, if you want to fire a teacher, uh, you, you have to take a lot of steps, especially if they've gone through that two-year probationary period and they're beyond that. You've got to um, document a lot of, of, of complaints and criticisms of their performance or uh, other issues that have come up. You've got to make the decision to fire them. Then they can appeal, and they can appeal several steps up through the board mm-hmm. and then all the way up to a court, a judge yeah. has to get involved. And people have estimated it can cost up to a half a million dollars to go through that process. So the impact is that very few teachers are ever fired in mm-hmm. that way. Sometimes they're encouraged to leave, that sort of thing. Uh, so this would still be a much more efficient sort of um, process you know, compared to the traditional system, but it's still not uh, appealing to the management to go through a, a, an appeal process like that? Yeah, I mean, and there does seem to be a, a problem with 
with just inexperienced teachers at High Tech High. A lot of the union members feel that that High Tech is sort of this churn and burn factory, right? They bring excited new people in, and then within a couple of years, they're they're they quit because of low pay or they're fired. Um, you know, there was no recourse for firing before the union was was formed, and so that created the situation where people just felt that they could be fired for anything. Their contract just could not be renewed. Um, and charter schools generally have uh, much uh, less experienced teachers than public schools. Uh, and even among charter schools, High Tech High really, really stands out. Um, when you look at the 600 schools in the county that we gathered data on for um, the over 600 schools that we gathered data on for last uh, parents guide, um, High Tech High has 10 of the 13 schools with the least experienced teachers in, in the whole county, which is a pretty shocking number. Um, and especially when it comes to project-based learning, which is a very different sort of way to teach kids, you're not relying on pre-built standardized curriculum. Teachers are creating the curriculum. They're figuring out how to grade it. And so that's a really intensive process. And, and a lot of teachers feel that experience is even more necessary to effectively teach project-based learning. Mm. I mean, there's a clarifying element here potentially about what's remaining in dispute because People often talk past it euphemistically, but I think this is at the heart of the public school versus charter school debate that has been going on nationally for two decades now. Um, it, it is mostly not um, you know, among the most vocal charter school proponents been about wages and benefits it's mostly been about the belief that they need like a school-based option to choose their teaching staff and the fact that that is like the thing that they are fighting on i think is is clarifying about what they find most important about unlocking their their model here they want very much to be able to retain the ability to let go of teachers not necessarily for like gross negligence or incompetence, but to just choose their staff, right? And um, that is obviously something that a, a labor union would not be interested in, that, <laughs> that, that needs to represent its members. And so, the, you know, the fact when High Tech High decided to unionize, it was an interesting moment about what that would reveal about, uh, you know, where the charter school versus uh, local school, school district uh, dispute in San Diego County resolved. And the fact that it's coming down not to how much you're paid, how many vacation days you get, um, th uh, the, the length of your probationary period, but just can we fire you because we want to is, I, I think, revealing. I, th I, think, I think that 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 demonstrates what they've been fighting about here for the last 20 years. Yeah, high tech high. And, and they've always been very forceful about having this um, this very specific culture. Right. That's part of what has drawn teachers from across the country. Two of the people that I spoke to, um, the president of the union moved from Texas to teach there. Uh, another woman I spoke to who, who was part of the bargaining committee um, and who left because she was just very discouraged by the meetings uh, that she had. She she moved from North Carolina. Um, and so High Tech High really has tried to cultivate this this um, unique culture. And part of that's the project-based learning. Part of that, I think, is from the management's perspective, that ability, as you said, to to have a lot of autonomy in terms of who 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 is on staff. Yeah, because on the, on the other extreme, of course, if you're principal of 
Knox Middle School in San Diego, you have no say over who teaches there. If Almost you have a problem not. with mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Um, any any performance issues or whatever, you have to figure out a way to change it with your own charismatic abilities, frankly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and so, uh, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. Now, uh, high tech seemed like it also dealt it, it suffered even more than some public school traditional public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the pandemic, like mm-hmm. the pandemic was really stressful along with the tensions that came up after the George Floyd murder and, and protests about racial disparities and, and inequities. And it seems like there was just a lot of tension around a lot of mm-hmm. left of center kind of, you know, neoliberal projects uh, across the country. And in particular there, it seems like there's some lingering just exhaustion from the pandemic and this is what their second or third ceo in the last couple of years yeah, right yeah yeah they they recently fired um a ceo who who uh was took some steps that that teachers especially felt were were really wrong and it, it almost feels like the firing of that ceo they've kind of wiped their hands of him and been like it wasn't us you know it was it was the ceo but but as you said Hitekai has really kind of in its messaging tried to pitch itself as this equity based institution that that really values personalized learning um, and really puts social justice work at the forefront of what it does and so i think that's part of why so many teachers and and parents feel really disillusioned by the pushback against against this unionizing um you know i, I spoke to one teacher who who said she felt that in the same way that that the kids in her classroom were doing project-based learning, when the teachers got together to unionize, this was them, you know, embarking on a shared project in the same way as their as their students. And so, I think that that tension is always going to exist with sort of, as you said, left of center organizations when the rubber meets the road and things like unionization. What did the parents have to say? Yeah, I spoke to a couple parents, and um, you know. They held a special meeting in November um, when the the management declared an impasse, and you heard from multiple parents there who who were pretty disillusioned as well. You know, one woman was like, "I used to uh, recommend High Tech High to all my friends, and now I'm just I'm wondering if I made a mistake doing that." One woman asked if the school was just all hype. Um, I, I spoke to another parent who, and and it was honestly really sad. She started to to kind of break into tears when she was telling me this, but but she'd felt that this revolving door of teachers has really negatively affect, affected not only the projects that kids do, but the sense of community at those schools. Um, she described her her son coming back to school after summer and being super excited. I mean, by all accounts, people love this school, both the teachers and the kids. Um, but he's walking through the halls and he starts to realize that there's just, there's not a teacher on that campus who knows who he is, who can walk up and say, hey, you know, good to see you, I'm glad you're back. Um, and, and I think that that really has an effect on not only the teachers, but but the students and the parents. I mean, that's that's a really tough thing to imagine. Yeah, I think a, a, an ongoing issue in education is just that balance between, you know, um, you want new teachers to come in with their abilities to understand yeah. new issues, new technologies, just diversity in general. And, and but yet experience does matter. So when does it like... We see a tremendous churn in some of the schools south of eight all the time. People wanting to get out to, you know, what they presume to be better schools, uh, and then you know that's obviously too much churn. And then on the other side, though, you you don't want, um, uh, you know, 
people to be stagnant and and not uh, be able to adapt and adjust. And it seems like that's yet another lesson to come out of this too. Is just like that balance is really hard to attain. But if they're okay on 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 benefits and pay, it and they're just disputing like what one appeal step they could get to. Maybe I'm naive, but it seems like this shouldn't be a hard mediation. You should be able to co- compromise because that's still a much more efficient way to. Um, you know, deal with staff that you're not, uh, you don't think is performing well mm-hmm. compared to the the school system. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one thing that happens when you bring in a mediator is is that all of a sudden everything that you have decided is kind of up on the table again, and so the mediation process, despite it being not very uncommon, can in and of itself maybe create new challenges or or. Um, or uh, variables that that had maybe already been decided, but but I do agree. I think that it's really important to acknowledge that both extremes in this case are not good. I mean, y- you want to be able to remove some teachers if they're I don't know a predator or something, or if they just kind of suck. Um, but also having a level of churn that makes it so that institutional knowledge of the place, and especially in a in a program like project based learning, which again is not easy to do. Um, you need some sort of mentorship. You need some sort of like steady hand that can, that can guide an institution through the years because without it, you know, you end up straying very far from what made your school special in the first place. There is one thing I'm excited about though, is if you can get rid of the union fight in these fights, you could get to a better example of what the whole point of the charter school experiment was, which was to try different things Mm -hmm. in education and then see if they work and spread them out to the broader entity. That if you had a place that was, that was free from the regulations of the state and the, and, and the compacts that have been set for decades, then you might be able to see things that work and spread them. Mm -hmm. If, but but for so long, we've been just burdened by this like fight about unions versus Mm -hmm. non-unions hopefully they can get past that and we can really see like if any of these policies do make a better difference for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, the, I think that was why we were so intrigued when Preuss and high tech high started unionizing. It was Gompers, Gompers too. Gompers too. That it was, oh, okay, maybe we're ready to progress the, the, what has been a pretty old hat debate in public education in California for a long time now. Maybe we're ready to take that to the next step and see, see how things fall one once they're the teachers the you know teachers are unionized um but to that extent some of the old players in those fights i'm hearing in my ears right now like listening to the teacher concerns and saying like i'm shocked about this like i imagine some people from teachers unions are sitting there thinking are are you shocked that they're selling alcohol in this establishment Mm -hmm. that that it's coming down to their their autonomy to be able to fire teachers is I think the teachers union has always been the teachers union's point about what what charter schools were actually disrupting. Yeah, and 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 you yet, know? like if they do settle on a mutually uh, agreeable, you know, much easier way to deal and, with problems. And, and to teachers, your point, they are even the the teachers union's preference in this case has you know five steps less than the, yeah. the than what the public school system deals with yeah so maybe we can actually have those debates without them being so poisoned by the union non-union yeah and, and you know i think that they're you know I, i'm 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 going to be doing more reporting on high tech high because i think there's it's just such an interesting case study in terms of a of a of a school that expanded 
um, a lot has gained national recognition. I mean, there's a documentary kind of um, uh, lauding its its project based approach. I and I, I think as somebody who had a really hard time paying attention in school and, yeah. you know, hated going to class. And my senior year, <laughs> I was at school sometimes. Um, I, I think that... <laughs> Jacob, only sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I win. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that the project-based approach sounds awesome. And and again, by all accounts, uh, the teachers and the students um, and the parents seem to love it. Um, but I, I do wonder, um, you know, if you're always like, and I was having this conversation with the former education reporter, Will Huntsbury, um, if you're always, you know, like making a rocket or, or learning how to make chocolate or a documentary, yeah, or a documentary or something. I mean, at, at some point you got to learn algebra and that sucks. Nobody likes to do that. Um, you know, if kids are, are going to school every single day and loving it, I mean, I don't know. Are they learning as much as they should? I, I don't know. This is kind of like, a, yeah, well, that was the whole point. And I think that's actually what they've struggled with the most yeah. is like, you'll have some of the kids that graduate from this and then they go to like a college where mm -hmm. like, it's a much more rigorous, you know, actual like deep normal math uh, assignment. Yeah. They, they show up in a big lecture hall and there are 400 people and they're wondering like, where the hell's the chocolate yeah. and the rocket ships, you know? <laughs> and on the other hand, yeah. Like, it, it's kind of nuts that we educated people so long in these like grades with English over here yeah. and then math and then history and never like put them all together to, to see if you could work on it. Because, you know, as a manager, as a parent, you don't get anything done. You don't get any progress with your people as a coach too. If they're, if they're not into it themselves, if they're just sitting there and you're just barking at them they're not going to succeed on their own. And that's the whole idea behind mm -hmm. it is that, that passion. But yeah, does it work? I, well, I, I can't hope uh, for anything but the best for, for them because it would be great to, to see lessons and, and see them scaled out. So thanks for joining us, Jacob. You can keep up with this story and all of his education coverage with the newsletter, The Learning Curve. It comes out every other Thursday. Get it at vosd.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego that Voice of San Diego members make possible with their donations. It's the most popular public affairs podcast that's made possible by Voice of San Diego donors. And you can join them and you should join them, please, if you value this coverage or our explanations of it or anything else we do. You can support and make that contribution at vosd.org slash podpeople. That's vosd.org slash podpeople. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also Managing Editor. Nate John's our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Again, make that donation, vosd.org slash podpeople, and give us a little note, and maybe we'll read it. Thanks. Talk to you later.